be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 1 to verse 16. This is what Holy Scripture says. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars, and dash in pieces their pillars, and chop down their ashram, and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall, be, there shall not be male or female bearing among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt which you knew will he inflict on you but he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eye shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, let's pray together and seek the Lord. God of mercy, love, and grace. What a wonderful triad of truth that is, a God of mercy, a God of love, and a God of grace. You are overflowing with grace, that free, unearned favor to those who don't deserve it. 
You're overflowing with mercy, removing deserved punishment from those who do deserve it. You are overflowing with love, unreserved affection for all of your people. And we need a God just like you. All the idols of men fall short. All other attempts at creating gods, they end up being too much like us. They're envious and jealous and short-sighted and not strong. They're weak. So we want to affirm our great love for you and for who you are in all of your perfections, in all of your beauty. When we say that we need you, we mean that. Our lives are full of troubles and trials and temptations are sticking themselves in our face every day. We're tossed around and hampered and interrupted all the time. But you are steady and you are ready to help at a moment's notice. And we need that kind of help, Lord. We pray for that kind of help to our dear brother and sister, Josh and Mella. Already Mella has been mourning the passing of her grandma from COVID. And now her mom in hospital, her dad in hospital, an uncle in hospital. Lord, we pray for all of them. We pray that you would have mercy upon them. We pray that you would spare them from the ravages of that virus. We pray, Lord, that you'd have mercy on Josh and Mella, that you would grant to them grace as they seek to make Christ known to family members. We pray that you would grant them grace to help those members in their family who are suffering, give them strength to continue to serve and to love. Watch over them and protect them, Lord, and help them. We remember, Lord, too, our queen. We don't often pray for that highest of our governing authorities, but as she has lost her husband, we pray for your mercy to be extended to her. We give thanks to you, Lord, for her profession of faith in you and her expressions of trust in you. We give thanks to you, Lord, for a woman who stayed faithful to her husband for 70 years. We're grateful for that example in our world. And now we pray, Lord, that you would be a comfort to her in her grieving. Well, God, we pray that you would remember all the churches in our province, many churches uh, doing what we're, we're doing, meeting in a little group of 10, other churches that are not meeting at all, some churches who are choosing to disobey governing authorities. That would not be what we would think would be right, but we pray for them, Lord, that as they do that, you would enable them to do it with grace. We pray that you would enable them to do that with honoring those who are in authority over them. Pray that they would all be able to love one another even as they do these things, that we would be able to love them. We pray for these churches, Lord, for your blessing upon them. Help them, Lord. Pray for our own church in these days of trial, that you would be with us. Help us not to lose sight of the things you've called us to do and to be. In particular, Lord, we pray for the evangelism of our church. Uh, we pray that as restrictions come into place, that would not restrict our proclamation of Jesus and him crucified. So whether it's over Zoom or over the fence talking to a neighbor, we, we pray, Lord, that uh, we would be quick to speak of Jesus and our hope in Jesus. 
We pray that you would bless our evangelism, uh, you, you would bless our faithfulness to preach the gospel, and that you would bless our efforts with real conversions, that we might be able to see more and more people coming to Christ. We pray, Lord, that as those people are saved and potentially become members of our church, that you would bless them and strengthen them, help us to bring them in and to love them and to care for them. We pray for all of our member groups, that these small groups would be used of you to strengthen our love for one another and to make us more faithful disciples. Lord, in days like these, we need help, and so we're asking for it. We're putting all of our trust in you because we can't really, we don't know a year ago who would have predicted we'd be here. I don't think anybody. So Lord, uh, we pray that through these days we would rest in your hand, that we would rest in your power, that we would rest in your wisdom, and that you would keep us and lead us. And most of all, Lord, that you would make us faithful. May we be found faithful. If you return in these days, we want to be the ones whose hands are on the plow, who are doing the work that you've called us to do. So use us, Lord, in such a time as this. And we ask this all in the name of our merciful and gracious and loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, friends, please take your Bible, if you would, and open to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7. I don't know if you remember this, but the, uh, the last, uh, well, the first Sunday of the COVID lockdowns back in March 2020 was the last Sunday of our study in the book of Job. And it seemed like it was God's sweet providence that we had been studying suffering and how to suffer uh, right when COVID came. We certainly couldn't have predicted that when we started preaching through Job. Uh, since we ended Job and we saw that lockdowns were going to potentially be lasting a while, we thought it would be useful then to think about unity and love and especially how to manage uh, matters of conscience in a tricky time like these COVID times. And from there, we went on to consider the church we want to be in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, those seven churches, and some good, some bad, and we're saying, well, we'll learn from the bad and we'll learn from the good to see what kind of church we should be, how are we going to stay Christ-centered in tricky times? Remember, that's the big message there, stay connected to Jesus. We finished there, we went to Genesis. Why? We went to Genesis so we could see um, who our big God is, who's made everything and is superintending over all things uh, so that we would not forget our Creator in tricky times. Tricky times require remembering God. Tricky times require being Christ-centered. Tricky times, uh, to navigate them, you need to be the kind of person who understands matters of conscience and unity and love. The tricky times are continuing, and none of us predicted that. In fact, a, a week or two weeks ago, we were making a video talking about how it's great to be back in two services at 15%, remember that? And now we need volunteers, and that lasted one week. <laughs> Nobody predicted that. It is easy. I think the temptations that are going to face us as Christians in tricky times are temptations to be angry, uh, temptations to lose hope, to despair. We'll be tempted to be selfish will be tempted, probably worst of all, because God has very little room for this, will be tempted to grumble and complain. <laughs> so in these little gatherings of 10 that we're doing on the weekends for the foreseeable future, 
the elders and I thought it would be very useful to think about one of those big things that's very easy to forget, the greatest commandment. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? The greatest is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love for God. Love for neighbor. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament when he says that, when he gives that answer. So this was true all the way from the beginning. Love God, love neighbor. It's true through the prophets. It's true into the New Testament. And it's true today for you and me. This is what God says is of highest priority. I like reading Christian biography, and I was reading one of, a, of an individual in church history who's often regarded as being rather prickly and kind of theologically minded, and, and he gets a bad rap, but there's a firsthand account of a man who stayed in his home for a couple of months, and one of the things he said is that what marked that home, the home of Jonathan Edwards, is that it was ruled by love, ruled by love. What an interesting expression. That love was the highest mandate in that home. And I think in these little times when you and I are together, it's a great time for us to think, is my life ruled by love? Are my actions ruled by love? Love for God, love for neighbor. Am I as a church member ruled by love? Am, am I as a citizen in my community ruled by love? What we want most of all is for love to rule. Does, does love mark you as a Christian? Is your love for God, is, is your love for other people so clear, so indisputable, so real that nobody could miss it? It can't be questioned. As people look at Grace Fellowship Church, they say, well, I maybe don't like the way they're doing this or doing that, but they, they love God and they love each other. Are you a person? Are we a church that is ruled by love? Sometimes the simplest things are the things that are most easily forgotten. Jude said, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves loving God himself. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 35. Love God, love others. Tonight, or this morning rather, we're going to think about loving God and uh, we'll see that loving God is, is, is motivated or it will, be, it will be initiated in your life the more you understand how much God loves you. The way to love God is to ponder God's love for you. In the weeks ahead, we'll think about loving one another, loving our enemies, loving the weak. We'll see how long we go. But today, let's think about loving God. How do you love God? First of all, I'll give you a couple of coat pegs to hang some thoughts on. The first one is this, God loves you. This is where it has to begin. If you're going to understand how to love other people, you need to begin to ponder and consider how God loves you. Remember, this is the, this is the initiation, the beginning of God's relationship with any human being. We saw this in the life of Noah, right? God is the initiator of relationship. It's based on his grace. It's, it's through what God has provided. But all of this, behind all of this, is the love of God. So you see God choosing Abraham. And he calls Abraham. He makes covenant with Abraham. And he, he says, I will keep my covenant based on my chesed, my powerful, faithful love. Your Bible often translates that Hebrew word as steadfast love. 
It's, it's a covenant-keeping word. My, I will keep covenant because of my steadfast love. And that steadfast love is expressed then not just to Abraham, but to his son Isaac, and then to his son Jacob. And Jacob becomes a tiny little nation, about 70 people, who becomes, is renamed Israel. And Israel ends up in Egypt through the provision of God and famine through, the, through Joseph. And there they are, but over 400 years, their position in Egypt changes. They become slaves. I want you to look for a moment at Exodus chapter 2. I don't know if you'll remember this verse from when we studied the book of Exodus. But in Exodus 2, Exodus 2 verse uh, 23, we, hear, we read this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. This is Exodus 2.24. And look at the words. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Four verbs for God. He heard, he remembered, he saw, and he knew. Now, the word love is not there, but this is the vocabulary of love, isn't it? God looks to his people. He hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows. Now, the word love doesn't appear a lot in Genesis, in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, just three, four times maybe in each. But then you get to the book of Deuteronomy, and it's there some 25 times. Because by the time you get to Deuteronomy, Moses is reflecting on the motivation, why God's motivation for saving Israel. Why did he save you, Israel? And what we see is the reason God save anybody, saves anybody is love. So jump ahead to that Old Testament book, Deuteronomy chapter 7, and you read this, uh, verse 6, for you are a people holy to Yahweh your God, L-O-R-D, Lord, all caps, that's the proper name for God, Yahweh. It's important to point that out. He's saying, you're a people holy to Yahweh. He's your God. <laughs> Yahweh, your God, not the gods of Egypt that you were tempted and the one, the leeks and onion gods that you want to go back and serve. No, no. You are people holy to Yahweh, your God, singular. You got one God, it's Yahweh. Yahweh, your God, has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, interesting phrase, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that Yahweh set his love on you and chose you, for you were fewest of all peoples. But it is because Yahweh loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. This is very interesting. Moses says to the people of Israel, you are God's treasured possession. This is a term of great endearment. Think about what you really, really love. Like the house is on fire. What are you going to take with you besides your kids? Some treasured possession. Why? Why are, why are we God's treasured possession? Moses says, well, it's not because of your huge population. In fact, you were the smallest of all the nations. 
It's not because you are powerful because you're slaves in the nation in which you're living. It's not because you're super religious and godly. In fact, most of you we see in other places are following the Egyptian deities. No, he tells us why. Verse 7, I set my love on you, verse 8, because I love you. I love you because I love you. That's what he says. He uses two different words for love. Verse 7, hey, shock, it's, uh, uh, to set, I've set my affection on you. I've bound myself to you because, verse 8, I have you, I have desire for you, I have the affection of a close relationship with you. I, I, I bind myself to you because of my affection for you. This is, this is how God's love and God's wrath are completely different. God's wrath is in response to something. It's in response to our sins. God's wrath is conditioned on our response. But God's love is not conditioned on anything in us. It is, in the words of A.W. Pink, uninfluenced. His love is uninfluenced. It is in no ways a response to anything in you or in me. God says, I love you because I love you. I am bound to you because I desire you. The reason for my love for you is all bound up in me. Now, this this isn't just in Deuteronomy. The people of God, Israel, as they get established in the nation and then rebel and, and, and then are hauled off into captivity, you got the prophet Jeremiah who says, I have loved you, speaking on behalf of God, I've loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I've continued my faithfulness to you. And what's interesting, as, he's, as he, Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of God to the people and saying, I'm going to bring you back into the land because I love you, he also makes a promise, the promise of a new covenant there in Jeremiah 31. A new covenant that the book of Hebrews tells us is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why love motivates God's salvation, not just of Abraham, not just of Israel, but of all of his people, including you and me, if we are his people. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. That's remarkable. The predestinating work of God, whereby God chooses out those whom he will save before he has created anything. This is a work God has done in what we would describe as eternity past. God has done this in love. God himself is eternal. God himself is love, which means God's love for you is eternal. Eternal. God's love for you has no beginning, and most important for us today, God's love for you has no end. None. No wonder Paul keeps saying in Ephesians chapter 1, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. It wasn't me. God loved me before I was born. This means, beloved, that a Christian never has a good reason to think that God doesn't love them. You never have a good reason to think God does not love you. Because apart from his love, you would be dead in your sins and guilt. 
If you are saved, you are loved. That's the equation. If you are saved, you are loved. You can be sure of this. All predestination is rooted in the admiration of God. His love for you is holy, it is infinite, it is gracious, it is unchanging because God himself is holy and infinite and gracious and unchanging. And his love starts and ends in himself, not in you. Do you believe God loves you? Is that hard to accept? Let me make it harder. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, while you were still weak, Romans 5, 6, while you were still sinners, Romans 5, 8, while you were still enemies, Romans 5, 10, that's when God loved you. Christ died for you when you were weak. God justified you when you were a sinner. The Spirit reconciled you to the Godhead while you were an enemy of God. While you were weak, while you were sinners, while you were enemies, this is when God loved you. All of us have been kids at some point, and, uh, you know, I'm going to assume that you had a fairly straightforward and, and loving home when you grew up. And if you did, then you will know that even when you disobeyed as a child and mom or dad were kind of upset with you, they still loved you. And God is this way. Even when we were walking in rebellion against him, while we were enemies, he loved us. You and I were like those slaves, those Hebrew slaves in Egypt just off doing our own thing, worshiping Egyptian idols, a hard, sorrowful, struggling life. And, and in the midst of that, God set his love on us. God heard, he remembered, he saw, he knew, and he came and he rescued you out of your slavery to sin. You are so very, very loved, not because of anything you did, not because of anything you were, not even because of some great potential in you. It has nothing to do with that. You are loved because God loved you. I love you because I love you. That's what he said in Deuteronomy. That's what he says through the whole end of his book. You are loved because God loved you. 1 John 4, 19. The fact is we love because he first loved us. The only reason you love God is because he loved you first. The only reason you love anyone else is because God loved you first. This is the way it is with God. God loves you, friend. Peg number one. Peg number two. You love God. Now, this is a command, an imperative. Love God. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six and verse four. We have the, what's called the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word. Impress your friends tomorrow. Uh, it means listen or hear. Shema. And so, this is something many Hebrew people even today will repeat in the Hebrew language. So, Shema, O Israel, listen, hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Yahweh, the Lord, our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You shall, this is an imperative, this is a command, you shall love God. 
You shall not love God partially. You shall not love him with half your heart or half your mind. You shall love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Heart, soul, and mind, meaning you as an entire person, and that word all attached to each one, all of all of you. You are to love God with all of what you are. Jesus quotes this very verse. You can see it in, I think it's Mark 10, or it's different places in the Gospels, you will find Jesus quoting this very verse. So what applied to the people of Israel applies equally to us. Now you might be thinking, if, you're a, if some guy is dating you and he says, I command you to love me, you'd say, that's weird. <laughs> How is it God says, I command you to love me? He's the only being who can do this. Here's why. When you are eternal and perfect in your being, the most loving thing you can do is demand the affection of every human soul toward you because you are the most lovely thing in the universe. So the most loving thing you can do is call everyone to love you because you are the most lovable thing in the universe. It is actually loving for God to command us to love him. So here's the command, and by all means, this is heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is talking about emotion, everything. So we can, uh, we can I don't wanna make it sound weird, but you're, you're really to love God. Think about a person that you love, and now magnify that a thousand times. That's the love that you're to have for God. But I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. The same command to love God reappears, and it does many places in Deuteronomy, but now there's something with it. Deuteronomy 11, verse 1. You shall therefore love Yahweh your God. All right, we got that. We got that back in chapter 6. Got it some other places. You shall therefore love Yahweh your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. You shall love Yahweh your God and keep his charge, keep his statutes, keep his rules, keep his commandments. This means that loving Yahweh is not only, it's not merely feelings of affection. It includes loyalty to his directions. So there has to be feeling and dealing, emotion and devotion. Actions without feeling are not love. Feeling without actions are not love. When it comes to loving God, God says obedience and affection are inseparable. This is what it means to love God. You cannot claim to love God if you refuse to do the things God asks. I've sat with people sometimes who tell me, oh yeah, I love God, but I'm just going to sin in this way. And I say, friend, you don't love God if you choose to go against what God has revealed. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God that I command you today, by loving Yahweh your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land in which you're entering to take possession of it. But, verse 17, 
If your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. So here he makes it explicit. Loving the Lord requires obeying his commandments, walking in his ways. That means putting the course of your life in alignment with his truth keeping his statutes and his rules, just obeying what he says, obeying his voice, verse 20, holding fast to him, verse 20. This is exactly what Jesus said in the New Testament when he said in John 14, 15, if you love me, do you know the rest? You will keep my commandments. Do you love God? The least accurate It's not totally invalid, but the least accurate way to assess whether or not you love God is to look inward and examine your feelings of affection toward Him. The most accurate way to evaluate whether or not you love God is to look at how you live your life, your actions, what you do, what you think about. How do you act when you're all alone? Do you walk in His ways? That's an interesting phrase. Walk in his ways, says Moses. You want to love God? Walk in his ways. Friend, you can't walk in God's ways if you don't know what they are. And you can't know what they are unless you read your Bible. I've been a pastor so long. I, this is the nice thing about being older is like I know some things, I think, and I'm too old for anybody to bother me about it. But a lot of Christians struggle to read their Bibles regularly. And you will not progress in the faith. You will not know how to love God if you're not getting Bible intake. You've got to open the book and read it. You know, lockdowns lockdowns can be an excuse for laziness, but wise Christians may take them as an opportunity for Bible intake. Instead of binge-watching everything, why not binge the Bible? I mean, seriously, why not just get that thing and read as much as you can? It might surprise surprise you how quickly you could get the whole Bible into your life. Things like uh, anger, biting sarcasm, complaining, grumbling. These, These are not the things that mark a person who loves God. Whether you're doing those things in person or whether you're doing them online, these are not the kind of habits, they're not the kind of things that mark a person who loves God. If you don't believe me, I dare you to read your Bible. You will find from Old Testament to New that God has no time for these things. You can't say, I love God, if you are going to curse and speak evil of the human beings He's made in His own image and likeness. Read the book of James, read the book of Deuteronomy, start there. You won't be able to do it anymore. I want to circle back for a moment. I said feelings of affection are the least accurate way to assess your love for God. They're not a wrong way. They're just the least accurate. 
And, 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 and you have to ask that question as well. I think it's good to begin with the first question, is my life in line with the things God has revealed to be true? Am I living my life according to God's word? But you need to equally ask yourself that question. Do, is, is there an affection in my heart toward God? Are there feelings of warmth toward God, feelings of admiration toward God? This is, this is an unreliable question to gauge your love for God when it's just the only thing you ask. Because feelings can be lost, feelings uh, can be, uh, you know, manipulated by what you had for dinner, feelings can be imagined, feelings can be faked, we can, we can delude ourselves, feelings can be manufactured. But let's assume that you're being honest and, and let's assume that you're following God's word. It would be dangerous if the only question you ask is, am I doing the things God says to do because someone can do and not love? We need, to, we need to have both affection and obedience. So I ask you, is you are, are you affectionate toward God? Do you love God? God always gives enough grace to obey the things that he commands. He's commanded you to love him. There is always enough grace to do it. Love the Lord, he says. That's the command. Do you? Can you say like David in Psalm 116? I love the Lord. Because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. You see, just as affection without obedience doesn't work, so obedience without affection is an equal failure. We need both those things. We need to love the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. That means that with all your feelings and decisions and actions and affections, love your God. And the more that you see, the more that you ponder his love for you, the more you will love him in return. But you can't love somebody you don't know. Sometimes Christians treat God like a movie star. They idolize him, but they're very distant. Sometimes Christians treat God like uh, a bad marriage partner treats their spouse. They just ignore them. Sometimes Christians treat God like nature. They're impressed by him, but there's no relationship. They still haven't loved God. If you're idolizing God, if you're impressed by God, but if you're ignoring God, then you've not loved God. Worse, you may not know God at all. Let me remind you of a very familiar verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should find life and not perish. It is true God has a particular love for all of his people, but God in and of himself is love, and that love just overflows to the whole world so that God invites all people everywhere to believe on his son and to live. Once you have done this, the simple command is this, love the Lord your God. How do you do it? Oh, meditate on his love for you. Counterintuitive maybe. Think about how much he loves you in order to increase your love for him. Secondly, recommit to do everything God has said. Do all that he calls you to do. Love the one who has loved you the best with all your heart and all your soul. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, give us this love we pray. Make us a church that is known for her love for God.
let there be nothing showy about that or fake, like we're trying to be something we're not, but just make it very, very real that our whole lives will be taken up with love for God. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our great Savior. Amen.